Hello, friends, and uh, bienvenidos a Seminary for the Rest of Us. As always, I'm your host, Sabrina Reyes-Peters, and I think I like that Spanglish greeting, and I think I might keep it. And uh, it's not just because of this episode in particular, which you'll see. Um, It's been a little bit of a summer lull around here since it's been uh, about a month since our last episode was released Uh, but that's okay because I kind of feel like everyone is in this sort of pandemic lull pandemic summer lull Um, but that's okay I don't plan on stopping anytime soon it's just gonna be a little bit slower for the time being. So uh, back in May, I got to talk to Kat Armas, and here's a little bit about her if you don't know already. So Kat is a Cuban-American writer and podcaster from Miami, Florida, who holds a dual MDiv and Master of Arts in Theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. She is working on her first book, entitled Abuelita Faith, What Women on the Margins Teach Us About Wisdom, Persistence, and Strength, where she writes at the intersection of women, scripture, and Latinx identity. She also explores these topics on her podcast, The Protagonistas, which centers on the voices of women of color in church leadership and theology. You can check that out at www.katarmas.com. That's K-A-T-A-R-M-A-S dot com. Anyhow, uh, decolonizing has been building as kind of a buzzword lately, especially since more people are becoming cognizant of the construct of whiteness that permeates everything in this U.S. American context. Uh, Not only are they becoming cognizant, but they want to uh, do something about it. Um, They want to work on themselves. Um, They want to help change um, the systems that perpetuate this. And uh, more specifically, uh, we as a collective are becoming more aware of the dangers of whiteness and the damage and trauma it has inflicted with centuries of colonization and slavery and that continues to this day with many things Uh, just a couple of examples uh, mass incarceration uh, and digging up uh, sacred Native American land to install pipelines uh, which by the way is being blocked Now, all white people, especially in our context here, have some sort of colonial heritage, but for Kat as a Cuban-American and for us as Latinas, this is also held in tension with the heritage of the colonized. That is, our ancestors were both the colonizers and the colonized, and as Latin Americans, we are not the only ones who have this tension. Um, There are lots of threads to unravel there. But what does this have to do with theology? Well, as as I say during the beginning of our conversation, 
with almost any Bible college or seminary education, a liberal arts college where you're required to minor in Bible, etc., uh, you're more likely to learn about theology from texts that are of the dominant culture, those are largely from the heritage of the colonizers, and that reinforces the idea that all quote-unquote good or right theology comes from the white Western context. And if you're realizing this, you might be wondering how you might go about decolonizing your theology, decentering whiteness, or as Kat says, delinking, and then recentering marginalized voices. Well, if you are wondering this, you've come to one of the right places. I think you'll learn a lot as you hear talk, Kat talk uh, about her journey in decolonizing theology, and that will come with some hints on what her upcoming book is all about. So I'm going to stop talking now so you can listen, and here is episode 11. Hey, Kat, welcome. Hi, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's really my pleasure. I'm really super jazzed uh, you're here to talk to me. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about decolonizing theology, and I'm a little embarrassed to say that I've only been vaguely aware of the concept for the past several years, uh, and then just now, like in the past six months or so, starting to take it seriously and work at it. Um, but when you go to a conservative evangelical seminary like I did, chances are that most of the texts you are exposed to there were from the dominant culture that mm -hmm. is most likely a white person and in most cases a white man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we could also say a lot of those texts were coming from since, since they were coming from the perspective of a white person, they were coming from the perspective of a colonizer. Would you say that's true? Yes. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot that goes into that, but that's a good summary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So do we want to maybe flesh that out a little bit more? So what are we talking about uh, when we say like what we're, we are decolonizing theology or we are attempting to decolonize theology like in our, in our context. Right, okay, yeah. So this is, it's, it's an interesting question to answer only because I feel like a lot of people, um, yeah, have their own kind of views or understandings of it, right? Um, yeah. A lot of people come from a lot of different places. But I think that's the initial thing um, when studying decolonial or postcolonial theory is all it always starts with the where, right? Where you're at, mm. um, your social location, your position. And so I think that in that aspect of it, I think that it's going to look different in, in different aspects. Um, I'm actually taking a class on, on decolonial, postcolonial theory right now. And, you know, we just read on deco decolonizing Judaism. And, you know, so there's just so many things that you can do with that. And so I will say that for me, um, decolon because I'm starting from my social location, and, and before I get into that, I will say that I'm at the end of the day, I'm still a Western person, right? Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, no matter how much decolonizing I can attempt to do, I'm still doing it from a Western lens. I mean, I literally can't do any different. Um, so for me, it's 
tying myself or delinking, sorry, myself from anything that would initially delink me from my roots, from my my grandmother, from my Cuban roots. Um, Cubans, the the Caribbean sort of Amer Indian, um, they're called the Dainos, right? And so for yeah. me, it's kind of um, starting there. And so my journey, I know that y- you might want to ask me how this relates to me, but because a decolonizing journey is such a personal journey, I'm just going to kind of yeah. wrap in one. Yeah, go um, for it. <laughs> yeah. But so for me, it started, um, you know, I was in, I had been in a very white, you know, evangelical seminary and I grew up in Miami, so I didn't grow up in a white context. And so it was very jarring for me, but I, you know, believe that the, you know, the Eurocentric or the Euro-American way of understanding or knowing or being was like the right way. Right. And so for me, I, it was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I grew up Cuban and there's so many things about being Cuban and there's so many things about Cuban culture and there's so many things about Caribbean culture that I have to, that is wrong or bad or sinful or, you know, like I can't yeah. shake my butt too much or, you know what I mean? Like just so <laughs> many things. And it, everything was just so, you know, um, and, but the main thing was that as soon as I transitioned from Catholicism to American Protestantism, it was, it was the very first thing that I was essentially, I don't know if I was told outright, but I, I mean, I, I was, I don't remember exactly when, but it was this idea that my grandmother's Catholic faith was wrong, right? She wasn't saved because she was Catholic, because she quote unquote worshiped the saints, uh, which is not what Catholics do. But, um, you know, it's that narrative of, well, we need to evangelize her when she was hardcore committed to the church her entire life. She was committed to her faith. I mean, she had statues of Jesus and her, you know, behind her bed, this weird 3D painting of Jesus. I mean, but I had to evangelize her, right? Because she was Mm -hmm. not right. So this notion of decolonizing and there's, and there's different ways of looking at it. And I think right now in my work, I'm trying to, um, So you have Iberian Catholicism, right? Like the Church of Spain, and they colonized essentially Latin America and the Caribbean. And so we want to decolonize from that. But then we have American Protestantism or white evangelicalism, and we're trying to decolonize from that. And so it's almost like this double. So I think for me, I want to critique Iberian Catholicism. I want to critique, you know, the, the Church of Spain that colonized the Tainos that colonized my ancestors. Um, But in my decolonizing from American Protestantism or white evangelicalism, I'm actually trying to dig back into my Catholic roots and try to dig back into my grandmother's faith because that's what sustained her. Um, in Cuba, a lot of people in, in rural areas, they couldn't make it to church um, because you know there was just no way to get to a, a church building, but they were still very religious. And so you know, symbols and shrines and all of these things were very impactful for them. And, and this is how they, I mean, they were very religious at home. And so that was the foundation of my grandmother's faith. And so how can I connect with these symbols or just these ways of understanding and knowing and being in the world, right? And so that's mm-hmm. another aspect of, of decolonization or, or decolonial, if, uh, how they call it, theory or post-colonial theory and theology is uh, this idea of, and it all kind of ties into epistemology, right? Or the, the study of knowledge. And so how do we delink from Eurocentric ways of knowing, ways of being, ways of seeing the world, ways of understanding the world, which is very like Cartesian, right? Look, it's the, yeah. I am, therefore I know. Um, yeah. my, my professor, he likes to call, he, he likes to say that, um, 
oh, and I don't want to ruin exactly how he says it, but um, I, I, I know where I'm, I am. And it's, it's this idea that where I am is what I know, right? Yeah, and so, yeah. And so it's delinking from that Eurocentric, Euro, uh, Euro-American way of understanding the world. And so, so many indigenous peoples, and, and I, I keep saying that Dainos because that's, you know, when I think of indigenous of my peoples, that's what I think of. And all of these Same. people. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, right. You're Puerto Rican. Yeah. <laughs> Half Puerto Rican. So like I have some, yeah, but I'm right. white. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm like so much there. Well, so yeah, right. <laughs> there is. And that's a big aspect of it too, right? Having both colonizer and colonized blood. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so going back to what I was saying, yeah, it's this idea of you know kind of recentering um, what it means, what what is knowledge, and what is how is faith lived out in the world, and how are these things, you know, how did my grandmother, in the way that she lived, and the way that she understood life and faith, and the way that she carried out her daily life, you know, how was that a way that I, how can I center that, and not just her, but all of the abuelitas in our midst right all of the women who are just out there trying to survive um because their faith looks different their ways of knowing and of understanding and of just being in the world is going to be very different than your you know euro white male whatever that you know um so yeah so that's sort of in a i guess short long-winded way of what does it mean sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, when, when, when did this process kind of start for you? Like, cause I wasn't even like when I went to seminary, like I was still kind of like in my conservative evangelical mindset. And so it didn't really like dawn on me like, Oh, what is decal? I have no idea. Like yeah. I'm reading all these things by like white men and like, oh, I guess this is good stuff. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and it wasn't like towards the end, towards the end of that journey where I realized, oh, like there's way more stuff out there. So right. like what, what, yeah. So when did it begin for you? Yeah. So, uh, the, my, the first few years of my seminary journey, I, like I said, I was in a very, um, I was in in New Orleans, and it was just like a subculture of a subculture of Southern Baptist, you know, white evangelicalism. Like I said, I didn't grow up evangelical. So like, I didn't know, you know, the different denominations. Yeah. And so it was funny, because I just kind of showed up there. And I'm like, mm, you know, like, I have no idea what, you know, like, I've n- I had never really, you know, so it was an interesting, um, yeah, it was just very interesting. And I remember my first week there, I was just like, well, what am I doing here? Like, I was the only I was literally one of two Latinas that I knew. Um, probably one of like six people of color. I don't know, you know, like, like it was just this weird, you know, um, but in that moment, I just, like I said, I, I, I didn't grow up even, I got to know. I was just like, all right, well, I'm here for the ride. Um, but with time it start for me, it started with, you know, women, um, because I was raised by a single mom and a single grandmother. And so, I mean, I never had to quote unquote submit to like this male, you know, I, it was just women, you know, and I was, I was <laughs> nice. raised, yeah, <laughs> I was raised to, you know, do whatever I wanted to do and pursue what I wanted to pursue. And there was really no, in that aspect, no, um, like glass ceiling for me or whatever in that, you know, in that aspect in my familial, my home. Um, so it kind of started with that and, and really digging into the Bible. And so, you know, I am a Bible nerd. I, I, I really just, I'm so fascinated by its stories and I'm so fascinated by, this 
book that is just, oh my gosh, you know, has been used <laughs> to liberate, but has been used to oppress, but has been, you know, I mean, the Bible can, you know, how Rachel Hall Devins has said, like, you can literally do anything with the Bible if you want to, oh, yeah. you know, like, you can do anything you want. Anyway, so I'm fascinated by this, this, these stories, and I'm fascinated by this book, and, you know, I believe it's a sacred text, and so I'm just fascinated by all of those dynamics, right? And so, it started, I started digging into the Bible when it came to women and just kind of understanding, you know, I was about to get married and, and I was just like, well, what, what am I, what's my role as a wife? And, you know, all these questions. <laughs> and then as I'm starting to, like you said, how you were in seminary and you're like, other things are out there, you know, like people believe uh, yeah. other things and yeah. then, <laughs> whoa. So, you know, I kind of started with that. Um, and then that's when I, so I ended up transferring seminaries and, um, in the, the, where I transferred to at Fuller, I took a class on women in church history and we were encouraged to study women in history, but from our, you know, from our social location. And so it was the first time that I had been invited really to dig into my Cuban roots. Right. I mean, which is so bizarre because it's like, now you think like, why would you not? I mean, it should be the first <laughs> thing when you do theology to look yeah. into it, you know, but it yeah. really, it's not for a lot of people. Right. Um, so, so yeah, so I started digging into my Cuban roots and women and, and, and their role in the revolution and their role in the, in the church, even in Cuba. And I experienced this thing that I talk about it in my book called research grief. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't think I made up that term. I don't know where I got it from, but um, I call it research grief. And it's just this like reading of, again about the Dainos and about the rape and the murder and just of, of these indigenous women and the colonization, you know, the church of Spain and on, in the Caribbean. And I mean, I literally was very, very sad for like several days, you know, and just really questioning like what, you know, like, yeah. And so I kind of went through that journey and that's when I was like, okay, I have to delink myself from whatever, whatever sort of Jesus has been passed down throughout, you know, all of the, whatever sort of Christianity that has been passed down that is just weighing on me, right. Mm -hmm. That has told me that I'm too much as a Latina woman or has told me that, you know, I have a certain place here, a certain role there. How can I delink this? And so that's kind of how the journey started for me. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I just started going, I'm an Enneagram eight. So I just, I just went hardcore in there and just, um, that's just become my focus, uh, for the last several years. So, yeah. I love eights. Um, I'm not one myself, <laughs> but I hear you. Uh, so <clears throat> you mentioned like, uh, your abuelita, um and like your mom and like uh some some of other some of other your heritage and like kind of trying to delink um and then like re recenter yourself like as a uh within your own context trying to pull apart these pieces from the Catholic Church of Spain uh from American Protestantism. Um, and I'm curious, uh, what other, uh, what things have been helpful for you, like, as far as, like, um, resources or uh, maybe some other people who, like, came alongside you or, um, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. So, I think, um, 
When it comes to this, I think for me, of course, it started with um, really digging into what Latino, Latina scholars have been saying. And so you have, you know, you're going to have your post-colonial thinkers, you're going to have your liberationist thinkers, you're going to have people that, you know, your feminist thinkers, like people that are just focusing on different things, right? Your Latina feminist thinker, like there's just so many intersections, which I think is so beautiful. And sometimes it just feels so overwhelming because you want to read all of it and you're just like, um, but <laughs> it's just like, I can't, I don't have, there's not enough hours in a day. But um, so because my, my passion has always been the Bible um, and so many people, <laughs> it's funny because a lot of conservative people really like, quote unquote, like that about, um, you know, my focus. But a lot of other people are just like, well, you need to just get past that thing because it is just oppressive. Uh, and, you know, but I do believe okay. that. <laughs> um, and even some of my professors are like, well, you don't need to focus so much on the text, you know, and I'm like, I know. But <laughs> so anyway, but I think for me, it's been really helpful. Um, I, I start with scripture and I, I start with, I love reading, you know, I even love incorporating womanist views into my readings um, because I'm not a black woman. And so I, I want to understand, well, how does a black woman understand this text? And I think it's really important to be able to critique the text at the same time, you know, pull from it and, and be inspired by it. And, you know, but I think it's also important to critique the culture that it was written in. You know, I always say that the Bible was written by men for men. And so how can mm -hmm. we critique that um, and still understand it from, again, the where, right? The where it's at. Like when, when you want to decolonize, you're also having to look, well, what did, where is their social location? Who were they speaking to? Well, you know, and that's, and we know that that's all context, whatever, right? Um, so I think in one aspect, it's been really helpful for me to read um, Mujerista, you know, Ada Maria Sassi Diaz, the mother Mujerista theology. She's been um, so helpful for me, even though she does receive a lot of, from some, um, a lot of critiques because she is a light-skinned Latina, right? And so mm -hmm. there's still, there, there's just so much that, that um, yeah, there's just so much that goes into that. Um, so yeah, so she's been really helpful for me. Other womanist scholars, um, you, uh, a lot of post-colonial feminist scholars are really helpful for me. And so I like to read that aspect. I like to read post-colonial womanist, mujerista interpretations of the Bible, and then just cultural, like cultural critiques and um, even books like Decolonizing Judaism. I mean, because it's so much of what we read, we, we want to understand Jewish culture and Jewish, uh, just Jewishness in order to understand mm -hmm. the Bible that we read. Um, you know, Paul is a Jewish man. Jesus is a Jewish man. I mean, the, the entire text is a Jewish text. And so we want to understand that. But how do we even in that sense decolonize um, or understand what it means to decolonize Judaism? And so I think for me, it's trying to, or what's been helpful for me is reading a, the widest range of things I can read. Um, and even in that, being okay with being uncomfortable. Um, mm -hmm. I don't agree with everything I read. I don't, I don't change my mind with everything I read. Um, I still have things that I believe in, convictions that I hold, and I'll read all sorts of things. And I think, cool, awesome, great. How can this help me understand the world, God, you know, life, everything better. Um, because we're all, I mean, we're all, we're all doing theology as we live. And as we, you know, a hundred years from now, people are going to be reading the stuff that we're doing and saying, yeah, old news. All right. What, you know, what are, with our technological advances or whatever, you know? And mm -hmm. so I think, um, I think it's just a, for me, it's just been helpful to read a huge range of 
things to, to help me understand God better because God is, is there, there's no exhausting the study of God. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. And um, so uh, you mentioned it a little bit. I don't know how many people will have caught it, but that you are your book. So I know you're writing a book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be called Abuelita Faith. Yes. Right. And it's coming out sometime. I forgot when it's coming out early next year. Next year. Yeah. Next year. Okay. I don't think um, we so, have a specific date yet. So that's why okay. I'm just kind of like next year. Like, I don't have <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I wish I did, but yeah. <laughs> for all, and I think, I think that's good enough for our, our purposes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so if people wanted to connect with you to like, maybe keep updated on your writings and stuff, uh, where, what was the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter. Um, I love to just hang out on there and learn stuff. I've learned so much on Twitter. And <laughs> so I love to be on Twitter, um, at cat underscore Armas, A-R-M-A-S. Um, and, um, yeah, if you want to shoot me a message on my website, catarmas.com, uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm not, I'm trying to be on there more. I'm trying to, you know, it's just, it's a lot more work, right? Than Twitter. I feel like Instagram, you have to like. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot more work. Uh, but same handle at cat underscore Armas. Awesome. Uh, well, it was so jazzed to have you on here. Um, and thank you again for joining me. Thank you so much. It was so great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to Seminary for the Rest of Us, a show where everyone is welcome to God Talk. Find us on the web at seminary.show, on Twitter at seminaryshow, and or send us an email at seminary.show at gmail.com. Oh, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to give us a rating. Thanks again and catch you next time.